And now, Audio Theater Central. Hello, welcome to Audio Theater Central. This is the show that explores family-friendly audio drama through news, reviews, and interviews. I'm your host, J.D. Sutter, and this is episode 176. Well, today we've got a review of Adventures in Odyssey album 72, The Long Road Home, and I'll be joined by ATC contributor and Odyssey geek host Austin Peachy to talk about that. And then we'll have some feedback from Sarah and Carlton and a bunch of audio drama updates. And also, I'm going to share a few thoughts on my vision for some innovation that I'd like to see in this family-friendly audio drama space. Well, let's jump into the updates. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. And in other news tonight... A brief look at the headlines now. They want exciting, fast-paced news that's relevant and entertaining. Like this! I've got some news on Basecamp Adventures from Life Action, and they finished releasing Album 5 this last summer, which, in case you missed it, there was a total of five episodes in that season or that album, but one of the episodes was a double-length episode, even though there are only five tracks. It's the same length of content as all of their previous albums, but they are currently in post-production on album six, and it is titled Return, and Matt from their team over there shared with me that this is the beginning of a new chapter for the Basecamp Adventures stories. There's got a lot of new characters coming up in this album, and they are bringing in a lot of brand new talent that they discovered recently. And each of the episodes in this new album will highlight one of their ministry, Life Action's Six Responses to God. So the episodes will cover humility, honesty, repentance, forgiveness, obedience, and kingdom-first living. So that's what we have to look forward to coming up in album six of Basecamp Adventures. But Matt also shared with me that they are in the writing process for a spinoff of Basecamp, And this show will take place in Happy Heart City, and it's going to center around a character called Detective Do-Right, and he's going to solve mysteries with uh, some of the base camp kids who are like junior detectives. Now, this show is going to be geared towards a younger audience, ages four years to first grade, and so they're going to have some of the base camp adventures characters and still have biblical and moral lessons, but this will be a show for younger kids. So some really great content, exciting stuff coming up from Life Action and their base camp adventures series. So I'm looking forward to this. Always great to see some new stuff happening. And I've really, really liked base camp adventures from the very beginning. And so looking forward to this new stuff. I also have an update from Paul McCusker on the Air Theater release that's coming up this year, The Story of Joan of Arc. Their working title is still Maiden Warrior, but he did stress that it is a working title, so that could change. But it looks like they should be finished up with the final mix and mastering of this production by the end of March this year, 2023. 
and looking to have the physical products available sometime in May. So that is exciting. I've been looking forward to this one, and I know that a lot of you have as well. I think we've mentioned this before, but Jared Pasquale is doing the score. Todd Bustide was the engineer and did post-production on this thing, putting it all together. It's going to be an epic production, and I'm really excited. to get, I, I know I said that already, but I'm looking forward to this one. So great to hear that that one is moving along. And in case you missed it, Adventures in Odyssey album 74, titled Buckle Up, with an exclamation point, is now available. All six episodes are available inside the AIO Club. And this is the first regular season album to feature Renee Carter. So that is a milestone album. And the public release is scheduled for March 2023. Also, the 1232 production, which we have mentioned in previous episodes, episodes one and two are out now for the Kickstarter backers. So if you did back that campaign, check your email and you will have access to those. And I also got a little bit of an update from the producer, Callie Sue. She said that the official public release date for season one is August 2023, and there will be two episodes dropping each week starting in August until the entire season is out. And they're still looking at distribution options. We'll share that information once we have it. Um, but they will be also doing a Patreon with extended material interviews and other kinds of bonus content. If uh, you missed out on the Kickstarter and you want to get this show and then do some support them monetarily, they will have that option available. And again, we'll keep an eye out on this stuff and keep you informed as we have more information. Now, I also want to tell you about a really exciting project that's going to be coming this year from the Audio Drama Alliance. Now, given that I am the creative director over there, I have some inside knowledge, and I wanted to give you a little teaser about this. Uh, the team over there is working on a really great script for release right around Easter time this year. and. I'm not going to share a whole lot at this point because we're still in the early stages, but this is going to be a really, really great script. It is called The Most Important Passover, and it was written by Darby Kern, and it is being directed by Craig Hart, and it is coming together. It's going to sound amazing. So again, I'm not going to share much more than that, but stay tuned over at audiodramaalliance.com. It will be posted there for free for you to check out sometime around Easter this year. And once again, we have a bit of sad news, and that is that actor Earl Bowen passed away on January 5th, 2023, age 81, as you probably know, he was the voice of Edwin and Regis Blackard on Adventures in Odyssey, plus 20 other characters. Most recently, he played the ringmaster in 2015's Pinocchio, The Tale of a Foolish Puppet. And 
He was such a beloved actor. You know, even though he played a villain on the show, I think it's safe to say that most fans just loved this actor, loved his voice. He was amazingly talented. And such sad news, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer in November of 2022. And, you know, just a few months later, he did pass away um, just last month. Sad news, but we can still enjoy all of the work that he, he did on the show over the years. Well, in a much lighter note, Shadows and Daylight has begun production on season two. And this is also really exciting. Some really great scripts coming up from this show. And this team is doing some great work. Um, I actually got to sit in on a recording session virtually. And uh, it was really, really fun. People from all over North America joining this session. And uh, just getting to hear these actors working, playing off of each other. Even though they're in different places in the world, it was really cool. Tamara Green, who also plays Jessica in Greenhorn Tales, is uh, you know one of the major characters in Shadows and Daylight, and Natasha Green as well, and Abigail Bourne. This was just a whole lot of fun to see these great actresses at work, and I know that hearing the final product is going to be even better you know, and to get all of the elements in the music and sound effects and everything. And so this was a lot of fun to be a witness of. And I'm I'm really looking forward to what's coming down the road with Shadows and Daylight. Now, a couple of ATC specific items, and that is we just published a blog post written by Glenn Haskell and it is titled Walking in Unexpected Shoes. Now, this is an essay that he wrote, and it is a bit different from our typical posts on the website, but it was really cool to see this uh, short piece that he wrote that looked back on his journey as a radio broadcaster and how that career turned into working in the audio drama world. If you're not familiar with Glenn, he is a really great voiceover talent who has been in a bunch of different shows which he does talk about in this essay, but he's also a writer and he's done post-production himself too. So he's he's been involved in all different aspects of audio drama for quite some time. And so this was a really enjoyable look at his journey. And I think you're going to really like this piece. So it's not super long. It's worth checking out. There's a link in the show notes to take you right to this post. So check it out. And lastly... I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the stats here for the show and everything, but occasionally I will look in on things. And, and recently I have noticed that Audio Theater Central has been charting in South Africa. And I thought that was pretty cool. And so, first of all, I wanted to say thank you if you are listening in South Africa. And secondly, please reach out and let us know how you found us. Um, I don't think this is the first time we've had listeners there, but there must be a significant amount of you for us to be climbing the Apple podcast charts uh, like we have been in recent weeks. So again, if you're listening in South Africa, reach out and let us know uh, how you found us. Well, that'll do it for the updates this time. Let's go ahead and move on to the monologue segment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Testing. One, two, three. Testing. That was just me talking. I do that a lot. Where's my speech? How long are you going to bore us with this? That's what I want to talk about. I just wanted to briefly talk a little bit about some, uh, a sort of wish list that I have for the audio drama industry, new things that I'd like to see. And this is all spurred by a conversation that I had with John Fornoff. Um, well, it was actually last summer and we had a lengthy conversation about audio drama in general and some of the stuff that he's been working on at the time. And towards the end of the conversation, he just looked over at me and said, what would you like to see done in audio drama? And I don't think there was a whole lot of hesitation. I didn't really have to think too much before I gave him an answer. And I'll share that with you in just a moment. But it kind of boils down to, I want to see some more innovation, some new things being done. Um, I love Adventures in Odyssey, and they have set the standard really for quality in terms of production values and acting. And they do what they do really well. But one of the problems, and this is not to be critical of anybody who comes into the space, but some people kind of try to make another AIO or, you know, a, a show that is very similar in style or format and subject matter. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. And then another thing that I see often are OTR recreations. And then the third thing is classic literature adaptation. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with this. I love all of these things. And there's nothing wrong with making these things or making more of these style of things. But what I really want to see is some new, some new original stuff and stuff that goes a different direction that you might not normally think about in the world of audio drama. In other words, I would like to see some innovation. And that's one of the things that I really loved about Paul McCusker's scripts for um, air theater. Each one of these have sort of pushed the medium in some way. For example, uh, Brother Francis, the way he scripted this out is it's broken down into different eras of Francis's life and different sections are told from the perspective of somebody who was in his life at that time. It was a very unique way to tell the story. And the St. Cecilia production, you have this uh, interesting framing method of telling the story, uh, talking about the different muses. And that was really interesting to me. So I really like seeing people do interesting and new things. Again, there's nothing wrong with it, producing a new old-time radio show or adapting a piece of classic literature. I love classic literature, so I'm not criticizing people who are doing that, but I'm just saying that it would be really interesting to me to see somebody do some different things. Specifically, I would love to hear 
a musical uh, that is for adults. Now, obviously, I don't mean adult content in that way, but I mean a musical on the scale of something from Broadway or something like that, that is told in an audio form. I would love to hear something like that. And another thing would be a, a serialized thriller, again, aimed at adults. So a super engaging story that draws people in, that that draws an audience as big as some TV shows do. And there are there are so many fan podcasts out there about specific TV shows. These shows draw audiences that are super engaged in these characters and these stories, and they build up these fan bases. And I would love to see that happen for an audio show. That would be amazing to me to have uh, something that is just so engrossing and engaging that it builds up a huge fan base like that for adults. You know, um, again, Adventures in Odyssey is fantastic. It's great. And yes, I am a grown man who enjoys that show, but it is aimed at a younger audience or for families together. And I would like to see something that is aimed at an older demographic that really draws in people and has a wide appeal. So those are a couple of things. And part of that, I think, is going to be a producer who is willing to embrace new media. And by that, I mean podcast distribution, because there are companies out there that are using the podcast medium to distribute audio drama content. And I want to see somebody in the family-friendly world do this and do it well and be able to monetize it. Now, as I said, this question from John Fornoff is what inspired this whole thing in my mind as I've been kind of mulling over this for a while. And then I talked it over a little bit with some of the Audio Drama Alliance members in one of our recent meetings. And then uh, EZ sent in a text to our feedback line mentioning this idea of these companies who are using podcast distribution in in the secular world and doing it successfully and are able to monetize. And so all of this has been kind of running around in my brain lately. And so I thought I would share it with you. I don't have a solution here necessarily, but I thought, let's go ahead and share it, see what happens. Maybe somebody out there will get inspired and we'll see what happens from it. But these are just some things that I've been thinking about. There's probably a good chance that I'll talk a little bit more about podcast distribution in a future episode. So thank you, Easy, for uh, giving me a little push in that direction because these are things that I have been kind of rolling around in my mind for quite some time. And I thought, you know what, let's just go ahead and talk about it here in this segment. So let me know what you think about this. And also, I would love to know, what do you think is a good name for this segment? I've just been calling it the monologue segment, which is very, very boring. So let me know if you have any ideas of what we can call this little short segment where I just share some thoughts on the audio drama space in general. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the review segment. We'll bring in Austin Peachy and talk about Odyssey. Let's do it. I remember her from that radio program. What was it? 
a Western musical melodrama. You helped out with the kids' radio program, and you were great. Another important tool of acting, the art of becoming. Uh, shouldn't we applaud or something? For what? Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining me on the show to talk about Adventures in Odyssey. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my first time reviewing Odyssey on this podcast. Usually I'm reviewing it on my other podcast, Odyssey Geek, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, I'm I'm really excited about this one because, uh, spoiler alert, I loved this album, so. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I had to say at the top of the review segment here, this album, I think, is the best six episode album that odyssey has ever done mm. i've heard album 73 and i haven't listened to all those episodes so i'm not quite certain on that one yet and already heard album 74 but only heard those like once but as a pretty much a perfect album i think this album is pretty much perfect that's saying something yeah yeah wow you know i i wouldn't just outright disagree with that i i'm I'm struggling to think of a one that I might put up against it, but yeah, it's near the top of the list. And yes, we are talking about Adventures in Odyssey, album 72, The Long Road Home. And uh, this is uh, six episodes that were just packed with so much great storytelling. Mm -hmm. Released in 2022. So yes, I know, as I said in the last episode, I'm a little bit behind getting to this one, but at least we're getting here, right? <laughs> Yep. If I was doing my podcast, it'd be a lot later than this. <laughs> so this one's uh, two and a half hours long and, you know, add a few more minutes, I think three more minutes if you have the uh, the uh, digital download and get that extra bonus track. But we're just talking about the episodes themselves. So for the first time ever, Austin, would you do us the honors and read the summary? I'd be happy to. Beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you home So afraid that you will not be found It won't be long before your sun goes down Just leave it to me Have you ever considered that Mr. John Avery Whitaker has his own agenda? Olivia has a new friend in her life. He's smart, interesting, and just so talkative. Will his influence and Olivia's own desire to settle some scores ruin her friendships with Zoe and the gang at Wit's End? Will his devious comments convince Olivia to abandon her faith? Meanwhile, Buck and Jules discover that Buck's father left behind a lot more than could ever have been suspected. Could the map help him determine what is next for his life? Because he's beginning to wonder if he really wants to be in a family with Eugene and Katrina. Elsewhere in Odyssey, Bridget Perkins learns a good lesson about judging others when she feels that her own life is under the microscope. 
That is a really good summary because this album does delve into some really deep topics. And man, I also think it's kind of funny that they put Elsewhere in Odyssey in there. <laughs> I know. I did not notice that until I was reading Like, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. It's not the comics yet. Nope. Nope. Yeah, so this is just a, as we said, it's a fantastic album. We're going to go through this episode by episode. We have The Lost One, parts one and two. We have Judge Me Tender, and then As Buck Would Have It, parts one through three. So we're still going to try to go through chronologically on the multi-parters, but you know, we may jump around a little bit because they are continuous arcs. And this one is interesting too, because it picks up where the last album left off. And that's not necessarily unusual. I mean, we've had multi-album arcs before. However, the Olivia arc is such a a serious uh, story that it's it's so odd. We talked about this in, in I think we talked about this in our last review uh, of the previous album, how it was so strange that they chose to break that up rather than just putting the whole thing in that single album. So, you know, it picks up right in the middle of this very uh, deep spiritual uh, saga, I guess you could say, you know, and we do know that because of that, they did end up releasing these episodes early so that parents could <laughs> get right into the resolution here. And even though there is some somewhat of a resolution, we know that this this thing is not quite over with Olivia. I mean, it does continue on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that they released it early, and I'm glad they did that to a certain extent. I was really happy to hear it earlier than than normal. But I think this two-parter actually stands alone pretty well on their own, more so, I think, than some of the other ones from Album 71 did. And we have the recap at the beginning. We have the parental warning from Chris. But these two episodes, I remember when I was re-listening to this for this review, I hadn't heard the previous episodes of that series for quite a while. And even though I know what had happened, I feel like it was very self-contained, these two episodes, even if you didn't know every single plot point that happened before, ones that weren't in the recap, I think these episodes really stood out on their own very well. Yeah, they they do. It's almost sort of like, you know, the last episode in the previous album, Worth It. I actually went back and listened to that one again before these, just because I kind of wanted to just have that sort of segue into this arc yeah. again. and. It does that episode especially. It stands alone by itself. You know, they've done this before. I love that episode. Oh, it's so good. You know, and they've done this before, where we'll have a, an ongoing arc, and then right in the middle of it, it'll be some wacky comedy episode or something like that. Um, and there'll be references to what else is going on in the town at that time, but it doesn't necessarily. The main body of the episode isn't necessarily tied to that, and it was sort of like that with worth it but the way that one ends it's definitely you know leading up to the lost one mm-hmm. and i'm glad you mentioned that about chris because i i had that in my notes too i'm like i was trying to think i'm sure there's been another time when when chris has done the the uh, disclaimer or whatever at the top but i i couldn't think of another time do you do you know one well i know in the last album she did but i think she might have mentioned in like one of the, like the first maybe 15 albums, like not necessarily a print of war like we're used to, 
but it was like, you know, her intro to the show after like the sketch or whatever, she'll say, oh, there might be some more serious things happening or something like that. But I don't think it was like explicitly said, hey, parents or parents listen with your kids or mm-hmm. kids go get your parents kind of thing. Yeah. Well, now, if you're unfamiliar with the ATC Odyssey reviews, we do get into all of the spoilers. So if you haven't heard this album yet, which what are you doing here? But (laughs) (laughs) uh, just be forewarned that we are going into spoiler territory. So the last one, part one, episode 928 and uh, episode 929 so, you know, after this, this is the official summary. After she learns that Zoe left her out of a special part in an upcoming play, Olivia must decide if she'll help her friend get a prestigious job on the school newspaper. And total side note, I really kind of liked hearing about the school newspaper. It's been a while since we've heard about a kid writing for the paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this was written and directed by Marshall Younger and... Post-production by Jonathan Crow, music by John Campbell. Now, this was kind of cool because it is a, a milestone. These two episodes were the last episodes that Jonathan Crow did sound design for, though he did engineer a couple of others that were released after these, but uh, these were the last two episodes that he worked on post and yeah. um, did a fantastic job. Yeah, great episodes to go out on. Yeah, and, you know, we know the or the, the standard actors we have here, uh, Olivia and, and Zoe, they're, they're, you know, core characters at this point. They've been around for a long time, but Olivia is played by Kelly Stables and Zoe is played by Natalie Lander. And they both did a fantastic job in, in these episodes. And, you know, Olivia is just so on edge. She She definitely has a chip on her shoulder, you know. It's just a, a really accurate reflection of what somebody's going through. And that's one thing that I, I've always appreciated about Odyssey is that when they deal with these very serious topics, these writers really do their best to make this really a, a genuine reflection of real life situations and how a person might react. Yeah. I'm really happy that Kelly Stables won a Navy Award for performance in these episodes. I think it would have been a crying shame if she didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, she's going through this period of, I don't know, you know, I I noticed that Leonid says to her at one point, um, atheists like us, though I don't think, I think that was more of his wishful thinking on his part, you know. I don't mm-hmm. think that she had necessarily said it at any point, that uh, that she no longer believed in God or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, she's definitely questioning things and and struggling with what to believe. And that scene with her and Connie just kind of talking over some things, even though at, in the moment it doesn't seem like it has all that much of of, a, of an effect on Olivia. I did like how Connie mentioned, you know, there's a, there's so much archaeological evidence out there for different things and places in the Bible, and she mentions the writings of Josephus. Yeah, she had great apologetics points there. Yes, absolutely. I, I really liked that moment. Mm-hmm. I like it because I know Marshall Younger talked about, like, each episode, they would bring up a question or something like that, and they'd address it in the same episode if they could do that or do as much as they could. Which I think they did a great job with that scene there. Yeah. 
So we see that, you know, Olivia lies to Zoe about this gerbil theft thing, and she does it intentionally to get back at her for, you know, for saying something to Pastor Knox at some point, or just, you know, she's letting this eat away at her and and intentionally trying to hurt her and and let Andy get the scoop on her for this article. And, you know, lying, vengeance, withdrawal from good influences, it's all part of the process of walking away. And again, it was just a, a really, really accurate representation of, of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And we see the effect that Leonid has been having on her. And I'm glad that we don't hear much of Leonid in this arc. We only heard him first in Triple Decker Sunday and in yeah. these two episodes and I have to say, Mike Shapiro did a phenomenal job with that character, especially when things changed later with that character. Absolutely. It was just so, it was just so amazing because like he did like the humor and like the, the creepiness, the evilness of it. I think one of the funniest parts was when I think Maria knocked things over and she run, runs down the hallway and Olivia goes out to see it and he yells, come back, urchin child. That's so. Uh, <laughs> He's he's delivered that in such a funny way. Like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, he was fantastic. And I think also Chris does a really good job at the end of part one explaining Olivia's attitude. Because, yes, we know this show is aimed at 8 to 12-year-olds. So this may not necessarily be something that they're dealing with at this point in their life. Uh, you know, th- though some may be, but I-, I would probably say the majority of AIO's target audience isn't. But I know that even as an adult looking back, I still remember lessons or things that I heard in episodes when I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of stuff sticks with you. And then, of course, we do know that families listen together, older teens, and even adults could be impacted by this story. This is one of those arcs that... You know, it's not all adventure and fun, and it really has a deep impact on people and their 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 spiritual walk. And so when, when Chris kind of does that wrap-up, I think they were very, very intentional with how they ended these episodes, and they really had her hit home these points. And, and she said something here that I just thought was absolutely crucial, and she said, when people suffer from pain and confusion – They often say and do things that really hurt, things they'd never do if they were in a healthy place and thinking clearly. That's no excuse for bad behavior, but it can help us understand where it's coming from. It may have nothing to do with us. We're just in the path of the tornado. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Great imagery there. Yeah. I'm just curious. I've never actually asked anybody about this, and, so, and maybe you have. I know you've interviewed a lot of the team members before. Who writes the uh, the, the raps? I mean, I'm curious if – did Marshall write this or does the you know the producers come in after the fact and then write the wrap-ups and, and – what? whoever wrote this, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure who. I'm assuming the people that write the main bulk of the episode, but the scripts that I've seen for like Odyssey episodes don't have Chris's raps – Mm-hmm. In the episode. Yeah. But then again, a lot of those scripts were made for the public release, not – they are not the internal ones, I guess. But yeah, whoever did it did an awesome job with that. I want to say two things about this episode that have to do with Leonid. 
two things that were that made Leonid less of a, I guess, funny character. Like you know, he was sinister, but he was you know covering kind of that up with you know his humor. The one part when she looks in her Bible and starts reading something, and he says, you know, the words makes my eye sting. Mm. That's kind of a giveaway right there. Like it's kind of a clue. Like okay, this isn't just an imagination thing, and also. I think it was before a commercial break, if I'm not mistaken. But at some point, like he gets really serious with her and says, "Like, no, if God is real or something like that, is that something you can live with?" And then she asks, right. "Like, what do you mean?" And it's like, "I think I, I know you know what I mean," or something like that. First listening to that, I can't remember if it was before the first time or a second listen, but I thought it was almost just a little bit of a hint. That he might have been planting thoughts of me suicidal attempts in her mind. Like for some mm-hmm. people that can't live with themselves or what they've done, then they think that's the that's how they get out of it. So I'm wondering if that was intentional or not. They didn't go there quite with that, but the way he said it and we know who it is, I wouldn't be surprised that was the intent. That is a very astute point. I did not I mean, I did notice that line had a little bit of a different feel to it than than a lot of the other things that he had said but i was i was actually frankly still a little bit confused about why he was saying it but you may be right on with that i hadn't thought about that at all so that's that's very good huh yeah now now you've got me thinking (laughs) yeah because unfortunately the suicide rates for kids and teenagers in the u.s are staggering and i know Mm. i don't know if they'd do it but if they did take an episode talking more about that i mean a lesson from Mike could have been a story about a kid committing suicide, but it's an accident. But that episode probably would have the same impact almost to a certain extent if they had gone that way with it. So I'm wondering if they'll ever address that in a, in a future Odyssey episode. Again, that would probably have a parental warning on it. But I think that would be something that that I think probably needs to be addressed in some way on Odyssey. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I love to say that... At the end of this episode, I was a little underwhelmed. Like, it almost felt like... Actually, most of this episode, when I listened to it, I know there's a lot of hype for it. I felt like, okay, not a lot seems to happen in this. And it doesn't seem like nothing has ramped up as much. I remember hearing the interview with Jonathan Crow about how he wanted the music under it from John Campbell to be very, very minimal or something like that. And that footsteps walking away and then fading out on that or something like that. Or no music. But I appreciate the way this episode works because it's setting up for a lot more that happens in the next episode, which the first episode, you know, I didn't like as much. But once I heard part two, you know, it makes that part one all the much better. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's not so much ramping things up. It's actually going deeper and and darker into like she's just she's just wallowing in this. And mm-hmm. it's a ve- it's a real real low point. Yeah. And you're right. Then in part two, which we'll jump into now, that's kind of where things start to come to a head. And 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 we have Chris again giving this this content warning. We have a recap again. And then you you alluded to it earlier, but there's a few moments where Leonid will have a little bit of a snide comment where you kind of chuckle although there's not really any laugh out loud moments in in any of the or in either of these parts but 
he did have a, a line where it's funny, but it's also so true because we know who this Leonid character is. But he says, you know, there he's kind of arguing with Olivia. And she says, well, I'm going to do what you've been telling me to do, and that's to think for myself. And he said, what I meant was you should think for yourself when you agree with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, both funny and also, yeah, that's, yeah, that's dark. Mm. And unfortunately, that's that's the kind of thinking a lot of people have where, you know, think for yourself. But if you say the wrong thing, you're not with us anymore. Yeah. Now... If I may, one tiny little gripe. <laughs> okay. And I, I'm sorry, Jonathan Crow. <laughs> I know this is a is a thing in audio drama, and we've talked about this on the show before. But can we please stop with the PA feedback anytime somebody is speaking from <laughs> stage? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I could tell from the rest of the effects on the voice and the distance and everything that Connie was speaking from stage, you know, and you can tell from context as well. At the end of the play, she says, you know, she's announcing that Zoe was the writer of the play, blah, blah, blah. But we don't need that squealing microphone feedback to to let us know. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember uh, you and Ronnie Andrew talking about that in many other episodes. Like, yeah, it's kind of like a, tr- I guess it's basically like the trope of audio drama. Like, yeah. there's a lot of tropes in audio drama not quite. I don't think there's a whole lot, but that's one thing. Even with modern day, that I don't know if they did that much with like with old time radio because they didn't have as many effects back then. But I think that's maybe a more modern trip, mm-hmm. I guess. It is, and it's and it's used all of the time. And someone it, break the a, cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, like it makes sense, and and you know you can also use it as a comedic. Point, you know, something to make fun of, or something in the in the actual context of the story, or or whatever it might be, but just to use it, you know, just for that effect to let the audience know where it's happening, or I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. really good sound people. It, it just that just doesn't happen that often anymore, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, that it's it's a tiny little tangent in in an otherwise really great episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a choice that we disagree with. Right there, we go. Oh, we also have another really great conversation with uh, Connie and Olivia in this one, and you know they actually are referring back to their previous conversation. And she says, Connie says, you know, you, you were asking me the other day, how do I know that the Bible is true? Well, I thought of another one, you know, and and she says, it's because the principles in the Bible work. Imagine Amen. if. Everyone lived according to God's commands. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And it reminded me of something that um, conservative commentator Dennis Prager says. He says this often. And he says, you know, if everyone lived by the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't even really need police officers. We wouldn't need law enforcement because if everyone was obeying just those Ten Commandments, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just – and that's basically what Connie was saying. And – it's it's so so true. Yeah. Great great teaching point there. Yep, yep. I didn't mention this in the last episode, but I thought it was really cool that we got to mention uh Priscilla Peterson after so long even mm, though we yes. don't hear her. Yeah. Once again proving or at least trying to that <laughs> these characters haven't gone away <laughs> unless it is yeah. explicitly stated that they have left, they're still somewhere around. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the best scenes, there are so many good scenes in this episode, but I think one of the best scenes was that conversation with Zoe and Ava at the store. Mm. And you can tell Amanda Troop that plays Ava, Ava usually has this kind of, you know, either a little bit perky or, you know, very, you know, calm or like, you know, she's kind of like the the anchor, I guess, for her family in some cases. But you could tell that Ava was really struggling there. And she was being a little bit vulnerable talking to Zoe, who's a lot younger yeah. than she is. And that conversation there, like how she's not trying to be all tough and, you know, oh, you're a kid, don't worry about it. She's very mm-hmm. respectful and talks to her almost as an equal in that. I really, I really like that. Yes, good point. I did notice that too, because she even says, well, you know, she doesn't even really talk to me all that much anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a really tender moment that I think they both just nailed it. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And again, we have Leonid trying to urge her to cut off her friends and family and and break those connections that are really there to support and help her. And here he is, you know, constantly just dropping these little comments in. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, so well written. I mean, I, I just... Marshall did a fantastic job with his whole arc, but in particular here, I mean, it was so well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of, another stellar scene is when it comes soon after that is Olivia comes home and there's no one there, and she goes to what's in and it's closed, and she goes home again and it's just empty, and you just feel that loneliness that she's feeling, mm. and she breaks down crying. And she starts to pray. It's like there's like a glimmer of hope there that yes, she's she's turning. Yeah. And then Lena come in and just like stops that basically. And then his voice changes. Oh, I remember the moment I was I was listening to this and like oh oh they went there like yes this makes total mm-hmm. sense. Yep. Same here. I kind of had a little bit of an inkling. You know, there's more to this guy, but um. That was so awesome that they did that. And and real quickly, before we get into the specifics on that, I, I, I want to concur with what you said about Kelly Sable's performance there. Like, oh, I, I mean, I cannot listen to this. I, I just listened to this entire album again today. And every time that gets me when she's she's weeping, like it's not just a little, little uh, you know, a little soft cry. I mean, she's weeping in that scene when she gets home and – the sound design and the music, everything was really muted. Like it was down low, but it was still there, like at the perfect level. And it just was like a spotlight was right on Kelly Stable's performance right there. And yeah. it, every aspect of it was perfect. And the timing was so crucial to that scene in order to have it make the most impact. They didn't try to rush that at all. I mean, there are mm-hmm. there are moments where there's just absolute silence, like in between her sobs and there's just nothing. And you're just like, you're just sitting there on the edge of your seat, like, oh my goodness, this, this is happening. And just mm-hmm. every single thing about that scene was just stellar. They nailed it, knocked it out of the park, whatever other kind of <laughs> idiom you want to use. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like this episode was also kind of a vindication for those of us that was 
quote unquote defending Leonid. I know some fans were talking about how they didn't like him, that he was too goofy and that he was a distraction. They didn't think it was good for him being in there. Even before I heard these episodes, I knew that that was kind of like a it's a plot device or not necessarily a plot device, a storytelling device. Otherwise, you're going to have Olivia talking to herself or talking to other people. And when she's isolating herself, she's not going to be having those conversations with people. Mm -hmm. So she needs someone to talk to. So that gives a great opportunity to have that dialogue and not just be, you know, a lot of exposition and not just have it be an imaginary friend, be but be actually Satan himself or one of his demons being that voice there. And also like some people are saying like, oh, he's so he's so humorous. Why should they do that? Well, the devil comes in as a an angel of light sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, being that humorous, being, you know, sounds kind of, you know, playful or safe or something like that he'll put uh olivia's guard down absolutely he's a he's a master of disguises you know we can't say that this isn't how he might work so i Mm -hmm. i think they they did a really good job now i want to go back to what you said a moment ago about leonid's voice or mike shapiro there you know he just uh does a fantastic job and so there are some vocal effects there a little bit but there's also that He's he's supposedly this Russian philosopher. So heretofore, he's had this, you know, very thick, kind of over-exaggerated Russian, stereotypical Russian accent, right? But it kind of starts slipping. And that was entirely intentional. Like he, he's kind of letting his true colors start to show there in that scene. And there is some little manipulation in post on on that as well. So I was curious how that all came to be. And so I reached out to Marshall Younger and and I said, hey, well, nice. just curious, did you write this into the script to have this the voice change here and have Jonathan Crow? Or did you specifically ask him, if even if it wasn't in the script, did you ask him, hey, can we do this um, on, on the voice there? And so he said, he did plan in the script to have, in the middle of that conversation, the one we were just talking about, he did plan to have the voice change in there and so it was intentional. They did. He did direct Mike Shapiro to gradually change his voice into more of his natural sounding voice, though uh, he, he wanted it to be a little bit more on the sinister side of things. And then Jonathan did apply some, some uh, effects there as well. But then in the final scene, which I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but this is on the same topic – where his voice kind of really just morphs into this really demonic sounding voice. That was totally Jonathan Crow. He said it, he came up with that idea and it definitely works. It's It was a brilliant idea to do that, I think. Yeah, it's a great example of what audio drama can do and the power of the medium. Totally. And, you know, it's a kind of a a weird thing to like about the episode because it's so sinister and evil, but I loved that effect and, and how they did that. It was just one of the highlights, I think, of of the audio experience of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, and that scene, if this person had not knocked on the door, what would have happened? What would have Olivia done? But at the right time, God's perfect timing, she goes to the door, someone's knocking on the door, and there stands Mr. Whitaker, like, oh, yes, that's mm-hmm. that's just a great moment there. Yes. And it's just wit being wit, talking to Olivia on their walk. And it was just so good. And 
oh, it, that that entire scene also is just spectacularly done. Like the, the again, the timing of the the dialogue and, and everything was just so extraordinarily good. And there's a moment where he's really pushing her, you know, to to not in a mean uncaring way at all, but he's like, I think you do need to say this. You need to talk about this or whatever. And the sound of Olivia's voice at that point, is a little bit muffled. It's almost as if she's got her hands over her face or something. Like she's Ooh. crying and she's trying to cover. She's, she's just ashamed. And you can hear that in the, in the sound. There's a, Jonathan does something there with the voice there. And I'm, I'm seeing this in my mind's eye as this scene is playing out. And I'm like, that is a, the the sign of a, a true master sound designer right there. The little details like that. Well, I think not to downplay that, but I think it might have also been, you know, Kelly Staples actually putting her hands over her mouth. Because I know sometimes they do that kind of thing in the studio. Like for, I think when Katrina was captured in the Green Room Conspiracy and she was gagged. I remember seeing that behind the scenes video. She actually had like a cloth sitting like over her mouth and talking mm. like that. So... It might have been Jonathan Crow doing that, but it, I think it might have also been Kelly Staples, which I think I'm I'm guessing they may did like a take with both to see which one will work better. Generally, they don't want unless it is a sound where they want it to intentionally sound like you have a gag or something. Generally, they don't want any interference in the the voice there, so they can do that in post. But you may be right; I don't know. But either way, because that's that is how you might imagine somebody would react in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, she's, she just had this crying session uh, alone and now she's got wit there. And so, you know, she's kind of embarrassed that she's breaking down. She's also ashamed because she thinks that this whole thing with Mr. Norton's death is her fault. She's been blaming herself. That was a shock. Yeah. I did not, I did not see that coming either. And then the re- the revelation that wit was actually kind of in the same boat, feeling similar things. Yeah, was, double wow. whammy. Yeah. Again, Marshall, this is he just this is so well written, man. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to him. Yeah, I I really like they address this topic because we've had episodes where talk about prayer, sometimes God doesn't answer prayers or answer the the way that we think they will and the importance of us praying and how it changes us and things like that. But this is the first time they've ever addressed this that you know, sometimes you pray for things and they don't turn out how you think they will. And you think that's, it's your fault. And for that short amount of time there, they, I think, unpack that topic very well there. And I have to say also, I am very happy this whole thing did not happen to Emily. Because I know at the beginning, a lot of us were thinking that the girl falling from her faith would be Emily. Mm-hmm. And when I heard uh, Higher Than Our Ways anonymous donor my mind went back to oh yeah this is probably like the good in people again it's probably same with maury like uh then after that episode i think i pretty much forgot about that aspect of the story and then we hear in worth it where there's something more that she's not telling what about and that's just a perfect setup for Mm -hmm. this part there and also that wit was also feeling guilty probably he probably felt probably even more so because he gave the money he actually gave a physical thing and she was just, I'm not saying prayers aren't tangible, but, you know, kind of more of an intangible thing. But they they both came together and their, how they were feeling, they felt like things were kind of their fault and that kind of stuff. And again, Wit, like Ava, is talking to her on her level, but 
but not, you know, not dumbing down what he's saying. He speaks to her as an equal and, you know, he doesn't pull punches here and he's not being mm-hmm. mean, but he's, you know, in a loving, forceful way that he's, he's trying to draw this out of her. And he's also sharing his heart too. And that's just, it's one of the best wit moments we've had in a long time, I, th- I would say. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned their conversation in Worth It, you know, that was another great moment between Wit and her. And I thought that what she was holding back was just, she just didn't want to talk about it at all because she just didn't want to get lectured or whatever. I had no idea that she was actually holding back this little, little fact here. And, and so when it comes out in this episode, yeah, it had a really big impact. I, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then we have this this prayer meeting at the church. Oh, that was just yes. amazing. And then we find out why a few scenes back, why Wits End was closed. And that was just so beautiful to me too, because they would, I mean, you don't just shut down your business, you know, and you're losing out on revenue. You got bills to pay. You got overhead. You got to take care of. And they shut down the whole place and they were all at the church praying. I mean, how, how amazing is that? You know, really showing how, much everyone cared for her and an example of what the body of Christ should be like. Mm-hmm. And also shows the power of prayer. I'm not sure if, I don't think we're given a reason why Wit came to Olivia's house. I'm not sure if he was already at the prayer meeting or he went to find her before going to the prayer meeting. I'm not sure. But I think this year shows the power of prayer, how it actually is, where it's not God doesn't take our prayers to do evil things. He uses mm-hmm. them to do good things for his glory. Yeah, that's a good point. I I guess in my head, even though this is not said at all, it's not explained, I was sort of just thinking that he just felt led to go there at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether he was already at the church prior or, like you said, if he went there afterwards or not, it's not clear. But that's kind of what I was thinking. And And then this whole thing that started way back – Episodes and episodes ago comes full circle with Wilson at the end in his prayer, and he brings it back full circle talking about Longfellow, and he quotes that line uh, from the poem, the the Christmas Bells poem, and then he mentions one who fell has gotten back up again. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. that was perfect. Yeah, great use of Wilson there. And also, it was really cool hearing Mrs. Norton there and kind Mm. of smoothing over those thoughts that Olivia had, how, you know, that it wasn't her fault and how the Lord's been helping her too. And yeah, such such a great scene there. And then at the very end, she invites her mom to pray with her again before bed, which was kind of how one of the early things in the very beginning of this whole thing was that was one of the first steps is she didn't want to pray before bed. And, you know, some people might say, oh, that's a little bit too... Too neat of a of a tidy wrap up kind of thing, but it's story I think, structure people. Yeah, yeah, we kind of needed to do that because again, this poetic something. I'm not. Yeah, I can't think of the word. But I think it needed to be like that. And again, this is Adventures in Odyssey, so they have to do some things that that might seem a little bit mo- too neat just because of the target audience that they're going for, but. Even that, with that said, I don't think it came across as too unrealistic either. No, I I don't think so either. Because if you think about it, all these episodes with Olivia's faith arc have ended on a down note. Even though there was a little bit of resolution, it was never a happy note. 
Mm. We needed that. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. And actually, we skipped over the scene a little bit that precedes this one where she comes back home after the prayer meeting and Leonid's still there. And I found that interesting. He's back to his, you know, his regular voice or his like his Russian accent thing. Maybe you think like, oh, maybe she won't notice. Yeah. And, you know, she says, okay, it's time for you to go. And they're like, no, I'm staying here. Like, he's being cheerful. Like, oh, no, like, like you're you're not, this isn't going to happen. He's not being forceful there. And I love it. She brings out the book with the words that stings his eyes and starts reading it out loud. Uh. And it's about, you know, the hundred sheep, the one that was lost, which ties into the name of the episode, the lost one. Exactly. And I get to, oh, like his talking there and like she kind of builds up and like she's like, in my words, you know, feeling the Lord there. And finally, Satan has to flee. And like you said, like his voice changed there. Oh, it it was so good. And actually, it reminded me a lot of how uh, the Father Gilbert Mystery Dead Air ends. Mm. Yeah, good correlation there. Yeah, yeah. So overall, I think that this whole Olivia arc, not just these two episodes, but this whole thing is one of the most important ones that they've done in many, many years and possibly ever. Um, yeah. And it's so timely and needed. And I thought they did a fantastic job. Now, backstage members may have uh, heard me reacting to some of the earlier episodes of this. And I was a little bit nervous about where they were going to go with this. It could have went completely off the rails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I should I should have had a little bit more faith in them, but uh, I just wasn't sure where they were going to take this. And uh, it was fantastic. It, it was just a so, so well done. They they handled it perfectly, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I like the part, again, with Wilson bringing back Christmas bells into it. After hearing this, I feel better about how the episode ended. I love the episode. It's such a great episode, but I still feel that they ended way too much with that kind of cliffhanger ending with the episode cannot really stand very well on its own that much. I still like that connection with it because if you think about it, Longfellow was also someone that was also struggling with faith in God, having so many bad things happen to him. His life almost parallels Olivia's. So I see a deeper kind of meaning with that now. And I appreciate it. I still, I still don't, I still don't like the idea of how that ended. I felt they, I felt it could have been done a little bit differently, but I appreciate it the way that episode ends now and how it's tied into this last one. Yeah. This story arc basically <laughs> restored my faith in Odyssey <laughs> because we just got through some really rough places with our Adele saga and I was so over that. And, for a while, I was thinking that that was going to be continued in this, and I'm so glad it wasn't, and it showed again how Odyssey, even when you have a lot of episodes you may not agree with or just aren't that great, they're still really, really great episodes, and some that will just knock your socks off. Yeah, and These episodes yeah. are just some of the best Odyssey episodes ever. I'm not being hyperbolic there. These are some of the best. Yeah, I really thought it was very well done. And uh, this whole review is probably going to be kind of... Uh, just me singing the praises of the team here because I just loved this whole thing so much. But uh, you ready to move on to episode 930? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Judge Me Tinder, episode 930. After realizing that her younger brother knows more people than she does, Bridget Perkins tries to form an unlikely friendship with Jules Kendall. 
another Marshall Younger written and directed episode, and Christopher Deal on post-production on this one, and John Campbell on the music again. Now, I think it's been well-established that I love the Perkins family, especially Wyatt, so I was totally (laughs) on board for this one. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we didn't have any episodes with him in the last album, so yeah, I was excited that we would have an episode with the Perkins and there's two things, major things happening in this episode. One, White's voice is getting deeper, which unfortunately I heard yeah. that Tucker Chandler is going to be replaced at some point. So <sighs> that's sad. But yeah. also we have kind of character progression, even though White's not the main character of this episode, we hear that he's going to church for the first time. And that's a big mm-hmm. step, kind of like how, kind of like with Grady almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. And it was Wooten and also Penny this time that uh, took him to church. Great opening about him having misgivings about watching garbage reality TV. And I love how he just so matter-of-factly says, these people have really negative attitudes. I don't really need that in my life. Yeah, you finally say something truthful, Wyatt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I love his – oh, no, I think it was Bridget bringing it up about you know him talking about the odyssey of leviathan fly and about uh using yeah. his mom's lipstick and that kind of stuff and then him confessing about that and then annoys her right yeah i have that in my notes too she's a she's annoyed with his change in attitude it's like that's so big sistery of her <laughs> <laughs> and also in in keeping with her character too totally yeah yeah And again, just in keeping with real life, you know, as that's a dynamic that happens in families as one member starts to make an effort or move toward a relationship with God, it it annoys the other people in the family. That's that's really Mm. how things happen. Yeah. And I have to say, we hear pizza being made at Wits End again. Mm -hmm. That copier machine is still chugging along, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And they even reference... Carla say, says something like, I think I might have to ask Connie to make more pizzas. And I'm like, huh. Uh, I was trying to think, do we ever hear Connie actually making a pizza in an episode? I can't. I mean, I, I, I know pizza so. has been ordered before and it's been mentioned, but I can't think of a time where they've ever. I don't know. I You know, you just always think about the ice cream and the desserts and stuff. You don't really think about them having like a pizza oven back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the last time they mentioned pizza was uh in the nudge in album 47 marvin and trend are eating pizza and they say that oh yeah it's actually made on a, a copier machine or something like that and then trent says i guess i should have asked for extra toner <laughs> so it's been a while since we've had had pizza at Whitson or yeah. being made there so i have to say even though i was happy to hear that there was a perkins episode in this album when i heard that bridget was being becoming friends with jules I was like, oh, no, no, please, no, because myself, like a lot of other people, think that Jules is a really bad influence on Buck, and it's usually her messing things up. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, no. And then in this case, she's actually totally different. She's not the bad influence. Right. Although the perception of bad influences, that's like a thread in through this, this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured pretty early on that, you know, with... Connie going out and getting after Jules, I figured that, you know, it's cut off there really conveniently. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there's probably a misunderstanding there. She probably didn't say what she thought she heard, and that's going to probably come into play. Yep. Now, I, I, I have to say that I, I love the character of Kristen. You know, I, I think it's... Me too. 
the first time, like, you know, they didn't explicitly say that they were a homeschool family, but that's kind of the impression I got. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely like a large family kind of made me think of like the Duggars or something like that. You know, (laughs) they, they raise their own food and they have animals and stuff like that. But I, one thing I did not like is how they had her do a Southern accent. Like she's some backwoods, awkward hillbilly kind of person. That <laughs> well, was the only thing I didn't like. Like, I mean, twang, no, it, what twang? <laughs> Odyssey's in the Midwest, you know, and it's like, you know, they don't have a, they don't speak like that. You know, just because they live on a farm outside of town doesn't mean they have to speak with an accent. <laughs> well, maybe they moved from another state. I, we don't hear how long they've been in Odyssey. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But it's just like a stereotype that people think yeah. of large families and homeschool families that they're they're like that. And, and that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I, overall, I loved the character. And I loved all the names. Kyle, Catherine, Kayla, Keith, Kiki, Kip, Kelsey, Keegan, Kagan, Cameron, Kenny, Kelly, Karen, and Svetlana. <laughs> Wow, I'm surprised you wrote all those down. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> oh, and Keegan it, and Kagan are the twins. <laughs> <laughs> good job, good job. Yeah, and I, I am happy to hear that we'll actually hear from one of her brothers in a future club episode, I think, this year. Ah, cool. And she references listening to Christian audio drama. <laughs> I know. I was like, yes, great call out there. Yeah. I liked all three of the girls, Bridget, Kristen, um, with her and Jules. You can kind of tell that, you know, Kristen is a little bit uncomfortable with some stuff, even like the music they're listening to, and then how Bridget, you know, you know, wants to talk about that kind of stuff. Like, she's not used to that kind of thing. And, like, Jules saying that she stole a necklace, that's not super surprising. But I love that line uh, where uh, she said, oh, I don't know if it's, I think Kristen asked if she took it back. I said, no, I don't think so. I think the store closed down. And Kristen says, well, probably because um, people kept stealing from there or something like that. Like, yes, yes, that's the truth there. Yeah. Kristen is voiced by Giselle Fernandez. Just did a fantastic job. Jules is, of course, Shona Rodman. And Bridget is Keely Marshall. Just just great, great acting in this one, too. And... uh you you were talking about the scene there in the in the when the girls are in the bedroom and talking and Kristen shares her biggest sin ever and it was something that they thought oh that's, uh, that's so lightweight stuff you know and but Jules she says wow you know it was all about lying about milking the cows you know and and Jules says wow and Bridge is like no that doesn't deserve a wow that doesn't even <laughs> deserve a mild hmm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, as you see the different perspectives, like, you know, a sin is a sin, no matter how small it is. It's, you know, some people just go for the shock factor. I know what they're going for with that conversation yeah. there. But, you know, she finally, you know, makes uh, Kristen cry and run out. It was like, oh, yeah, Bridget, why? And I'm really glad that Jules didn't go along with Bridget. She didn't necessarily make fun of Kristen. She didn't, you know, she was a more, I guess, neutral space in this case. Between the two, like the two extremes, I guess. Yeah. And even defending Connie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a really great moment. Yeah, that that does show, you know, Jules's uh character development as well. Yeah. And then then Connie kicks her out. And I was like, wow, I, I did not expect that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Well, it is her house. <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah, I love that conversation later with Jules, too, in a scene before Connie explained later about how people may not be judging you. Sometimes it's just the person be feeling convicted because if you're doing something that they're not and they know what they're doing is wrong, they may lash out against that. And I love that lesson because, you know, one of the most, probably the most uh, misused verses in modern times is judge not. Mm. And again, there's a lot of depth to that verse and the verses surrounding it, but I really liked this different layer of judging. I'm not sure if an episode quite like this, like judging. I know there's been like jumping to conclusions and not believing the worst in people. I've been a theme in the past, but I really like how this episode had took that theme and took a different spin on it than they have in the past, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. I mean, it's judge me tender. It's like, cause uh, Jules does, he, she says to Bridget, you know, like the only one who's being judgmental or the one who's doing the wrong here is you, not to all these other people that you're you're pointing mm-hmm. these fingers at. So she's ba- she is judging her, but she does it <laughs> a very in a tender way, you know. So the title fits perfectly, and it was like you know not something you expect to hear from Jules. Yeah, I also love that story that Connie gave about how when she's in California, how she felt being judged by someone like this, someone staring at her because she was wearing something immodest, and it was actually a blind person. Yeah, so. That was a great example of, you know, seeing things or judging people, thinking that they're judging you. And I, I think that was just a great example there. And also another story hearing from Colony's past. Right. Yeah. Again, it just sort of reinforces the growth in her. You know, she's has kind of come into this motherly role with Jules and it fits her well, you know, she's, she's definitely mature enough to be able to offer this guidance and, and stuff like that. And even though Jules says that she, she still annoys her, you know, but she, she stood up, you know, for Connie in the conversation with Bridget. And, uh, so there's definitely some progression in, in Jules and then, and, and of course in, in Connie too. And so, um, this is totally a rabbit trail, but that's why that episode a while back, um, I'm totally blanking on the title, but where she just kind of went off the rails and- Oh, Bridget Redefined? No, not Bridget, Connie, where she oh. was like so, it was like reverting back to her so uh, such immature stage and just doing stuff you were like, Connie, this is not you. Speaking back to Wit and to Wilson and just- Oh yeah, Millstones. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, that would just felt so weird to me. And so this was like, this is Connie being the mature Connie that she has become. And I liked it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one part of the episode I didn't like as much was the last scene, which it seems like it's almost like it's the same kind of the same kind of situation in a different way. But it actually sounds like the show that they're watching sounds pretty similar to what it was before. Really (laughs) stupid reality show. But this time Wyatt likes it. Yeah. That's so funny that you say that because I have that exact thing in my notes too. I said, <laughs> I'm not convinced that the show they decided it on at the end was any better than the one they had at the beginning. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, overall, the message of the episode was good and it was fun. So I, I did enjoy it. But yeah, that definitely mm-hmm. stood out to me too. <laughs> yeah. I will say the wrap up was also really great too. And Chris bringing out the part about, you know, men hate the light. You know, they like darkness rather than light. I thought it was a great application for this message. 
Yeah, yeah. I think another great Perkins episode. Totally. Yeah, and Marshall, he's doing a great job with that, with that family as a whole. But each individual character, there's definitely a – they're on a different track, each one of them. And so watching them as they're figuring things out, it's really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to the last three episodes, 931 to 933, as Buck would have it, parts one through three. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Buck Oliver receives an anonymous message that leads him back to his hometown of Harlanville and the forgotten story of his father's death. Written and directed by Kathy Buchanan, post-production by Luke Gnoe, and music by John Campbell. Oh, man. <clears throat> Such great episodes. We get a, a bit of a mystery. We get some updates about Buck and Eugene and Katrina and Buck and Jules. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on in these episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love, I love how it begins with uh, Eugene tinkering with stuff. It kind of, and the, with the car, it kind of reminds me when he was automating the kitchen back in, back to abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> totally unrelated. But I also had a brief flash of way back when Sam Johnson and his dad were working on the car and he kept trying to fix something, but it was making the windshield wipers go off when he when he was trying to do the turn signal or something Jimmy, like that. I think it was Jimmy and uh, George, but I know Sam and his dad had that thing with the garage door not opening. Oh, that was the garage right. door. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I conflated those two, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Too many episodes in the brain there. <laughs> but I did like, you know, Eugene just tinkering around being uh, – what was the term that Katrina used? She she said she uses the word inventor something. Yeah, I think it's you get inventor crazy on these things or something like that. Oh yeah, then maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and we also get to hear from Edna Platt again, which I was not expecting that to happen. But that was a nice uh, cameo from uh, "Divided We Fall" back in album sixty five. Mm -hmm. And the news that she brought, like, there's other family of bucks and they want to adopt him, like. Oh, wow. This is going to get wild. <laughs> yeah. Talk about throwing a, a wrench in things. Yeah, that was a ingenious kind of a twist there. Mm-hmm. And then another twist. Buck gets a text from someone for lead on something with his dad from Harlanville, which I think they... No, I don't think they visited there before. I might be mixing up the town where... What's his name? That lady that... uh. Knew his parents, I think. I don't think that was Harlanville, was it? Yeah, I was trying to remember that too. I didn't think it was. I thought this was the first time we had heard of this one, this town. Okay, I I, I think you're right. But Buck finds out that he knew his dad died, but I'm not sure if he knew that he had died drowning inside a car um, in an accident. And we hear mm -hmm. that, you know, there's someone, there's probably someone else in the car or something like that. It's great, great setup there. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of wondering in the early part of this if we were going to have a, a Mr. Skint cameo too, but <laughs> we don't. Yeah, there's enough bad people around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he would have showed up when he's in prison, but who knows? <laughs> he could have been in the adoption scene in the crowd. There. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, please, no. <laughs> So I like that Eugene had went and checked in and, or checked up on this uh, relative of Bucks and 
like did, like yeah. I don't know exactly what he had done, like a background check or what, whatever. But he had went and done some research, and Katrina's like horrified, like oh, you shouldn't have done that. But what did you find out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they they're wanting, and they don't say anything yet that they're wanting to adopt Bucket because they want to have things you know finalized first. Which that is, I mean, that there I would think is very reasonable to happen because you know if it doesn't work out, then you don't want to say anything, you know, right? Uh, Dash's hopes. Exactly. Yeah. And Eugene and Katrina in the diner. That scene was hilarious. Oh, you yes. Know, e- Eugene Ryan getting nervous. Genius. You, you, it's like, it's so funny because this guy is so intelligent. Like, why does he have such a hard time being inconspicuous? And like, <laughs> Yeah. What kind of car do you want, Miss Kendall? Right. Like, yeah. I, like he mentions being a, doing spy work in Morocco, which we never hear. I kind of doubt if he was a spy, he probably got captured or something. Someone else probably had to bail him out. <laughs> it also made me think of the time when he was trying to get the toothpick from Buck back in Big oh, Conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, that's a great <laughs> connection there. Yeah, that's awesome. Like he like he yells out, "Oh, Candace, wonderful!" And then like we uh working at Sunday school, like, and what is your church's doctrinal statement? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. And we also find out, because Buck and Jules are in the same town, too, they talk to the newspaper guy, and they talk to Sheriff Stone, and hearing that he arrested his dad during a job interview, like, oh, man, that was not not a good first impression. Yeah. That would have been so awkward for the newspaper guy, Mr. Green Tree. Mm-hmm. Funny name, too, but... Yeah, the actor for uh, Cash Oliver was great. I love that guy's voice for that character. Yeah, and uh, funny thing is that most of these uh, characters were not credited on the AIO wiki, so I don't know. Now, there are several names that Chris gives in the credits, but she doesn't say who did which one, and I didn't – you know, sometimes you can go and try to track these people down, maybe listen to their demos, and and then make the connection to the voice, but I didn't didn't have a chance to do that. So I'm not sure who Mm -hmm. voiced uh, Adam Stone or Cash Oliver or Candace or Mr. Green Tree, though – I did wonder, because in one, I don't remember which scene it was, but one of the scenes of Cash Oliver, I wondered if it wasn't Robbie Bruce just, uh, you know, speaking with a little bit more of a deeper tone, because they sound, he sounded so similar to the way Buck spoke. And even some of the vocal quality sounded like it, it might be, but I don't know. And, and they probably didn't do that, but it just, it yeah. kind of is like, well, Maybe they just asked him to try to match the style of the way Robbie plays Buck or something. I don't know. But he did a great job, though. Mm-hmm, yeah. Perfect casting there. And and speaking of the cast, you know, Audrey Wazalewski as, as Katrina, at the end of part one, there's just this slight little voice crack in her voice there mm-hmm. when she's talking to Eugene. She's like... Did we just meet Buck's new mom? You know, there's got to be this roller coaster of emotions where they're like, okay, we've made the decision we want to adopt. Now we've got to jump through all of these legal hoops and we're, you know, they're excited, but they're nervous about talking to him about it. And, you know, so all of this stuff. And then they find out that there's this other person and then they think, oh, she's fantastic. She, she, she's a great person, you know? And I mean, that's got to be crazy. And, and so, Audrey just nails that that emotion in her voice there it was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
like I like the character of Candace. Like you don't want to like her, but you like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now this was interesting. Once we once we move into part two, is once again we have someone basing their actions upon a misunderstanding from an overheard conversation, just like we did. Misunderstanding with- conflict. Yeah. So Buck under misunderstood what he had overheard from Eugene and Katrina, just like we had with Bridget. And uh, I'm sure that wasn't intentional to have that be in the same album, because sometimes these things just kind of fall in the order that they work best overall. And little details like that may not necessarily be in consideration, but it was interesting that it did happen that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, it's like, you know, oh, you need to say something. Like, if you're not sure about it, ask. Because I'm trying to think. I thought there was some other kind of situation kind of like this where he misunderstood something. Maybe I'm thinking of old tricks. But I felt like there was a misunderstanding with Buck and his foster parents at some point. But maybe it was something else. But, like, you think you would, you, you could probably trust them enough now. Because there's nothing, at this point, it seems like it's perfect, like his his relationship with them. Yeah. but. Yeah, then that happens. Like I know, and we need we need to move the plot forward. It's a three parter. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of me at at first when we have this sort of kerfuffle, and was like, "Oh, come on! We we just got to the point where everybody was trusting each other, and now they're they're going to do this, you know." But it made sense, I guess, for his his character because he's he still feels insecure about himself, and and so that sort of made sense, and. I'm glad that it was cleared up, of course, but there was a little bit of me who was like, oh, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of happened to that with like auto response and uh-huh. trying to think of something something else something else that happened. But those kind of things like, oh, I don't belong or I don't fit in. Like it seemed like it's happened way too many times. Auto response, I think, was like one too many. But I think they dealt with it better in this one because they had a lot more time to spend on it. Mm-hmm. And I do love his line where he's talking to Jules and he says, I mean, I don't, I don't enjoy the context because he's talking about why he is considering, you know, not, not being part of the Meltzner family, but he says, I, I'm more kielbasa than kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to ask, at what point did you suspect Adam? Probably at the same time Buck did, whenever he kept saying, oh, hand, hand me that letter, hand that over. Because he says it like three or four times. At that moment, I was like, oh, this guy's, this guy's some, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't yeah. know exactly what. And then whenever Jules says, oh, there's something on the back. I'm like, oh, he's after something. But I had no clue where it was going to go. What mm-hmm. about you? Yeah, I think it was around that time too. I don't know. I think sometimes maybe before that, I'm not sure if it's the music or what. I think maybe the music clued me in on it a little bit early, maybe. But sometimes I know uh, some of my family has mentioned this too. Like sometimes the music gives things away sometimes a little bit too early mm. or something to that effect. Uh, but yeah, like, okay, yeah, this guy is not to be trusted. And because, you know, Buck has been around a lot of con artists and that kind of stuff, you can kind of kind of see through people yeah. more. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of Adam, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't, but there was a couple of moments where I'm like, is this Jerry Hauser? Because I'm hearing a slight <laughs> bit of jellyfish in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that guy, the actor for him, yeah, that was also a great voice too. Like, it's very unique. And once you find out that he is a, a villain, it kind of fits that character. At least in my mind, it kind of does. Yeah. Although it could have gone either way with that character. It's such a unique voice with that. But 
I don't know, like especially later when he was more, you know, sinister and he kind of talks a little bit slower and deeper. Like, mm. oh. Yeah, because in the first scene where he's uh, – or it's kind of that flashback or where Mr. Greentree is telling the story about Cash being arrested by him in his office, right there I had no – you know, I had no suspicions of him at all. He sounded like a legit law-abiding law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the big – probably like the biggest shock or biggest misunderstanding is – when we find out that the person that Eugene, when he was a foster kid, helped get Cash arrested because he was the one that stole his foster parents' car, and Buck finds out about it. like, oh yeah. man, that goes deep. That must really hurt. Right? Yeah. I was like, what a twist. I Eugene was the person who turned in Buck's dad. Like, wow, did not see that coming. I actually didn't sympathize a whole lot with Buck because I was thinking yeah, he was doing wrong things. He he deserved, mm-hmm. like, his actions did kind of point that, yes, he needed to be arrested for it. I, I know there is places for mercy, but, right. I, again, Adam, like, I don't think at that point Adam was actually having any animosity necessarily towards him. Like, he was sounding like he's just doing his job there, and sometimes you just have to go that way. You may have different feelings on on it, but you're following the law with that. So I didn't sympathize right. as much with Buck. I was sympathizing with more with Eugene at that point because maybe because I'm also thinking, okay, come on, Buck, you gotta stop <laughs> stop having these ups and downs with trusting people. But I know he has a lot of baggage. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, Eugene was still pretty much a kid himself, you know? So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to fault him for just trying to do what was right. But, you know, Buck's not thinking rationally. Yeah, and he was even younger than Buck was. A, well, I guess Buck has been a con artist for all of his life, so I, I don't know where I was going with that. I was thinking, oh, yeah, Eugene was pretty young, but okay, yeah, Buck was younger when he was actually doing criminal activity, so never mind. Yeah, and then, you know, he, he just walks out on them. I was like, I didn't see that one coming either. You could tell he was a little upset about things, but then when he, he's just like, I'm leaving, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And he goes to live with a different foster family and then, you know, goes with Jules to get the map and sneak to the garage. And that's a very suspenseful moment there. And I have to say the music for that last scene reminds me a lot of John Campbell's score for Red Rock Mysteries. Oh, I haven't heard those in a long time. So yeah. I just finished re-listening to quite a, the last one recently. Like, man, I wish they continued that series. I know I'm oh, preaching yeah. to the choir there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Me too. But great cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that brings us to part three. And man, again, this is just a little tiny thing. But in the phone call to Eugene, where they're after they, you know, Adam finds him in the garage. Well, first of all, I was like, oh, maybe they got away and he didn't recognize who it was. You know, he obviously caught them. He knew there was somebody out there. But then he calls him, hey, Buck, you know, I'm just trying to help you or whatever, whatever it is that he said. I'm like, oh, no, they're not. He did figure out who it was. But anyway, he he sneaks away to call Eugene or climbs up the hill to try to get signal. And the sound effect there that uh, that Lou Gano uses, it sounded more to me like a walkie-talkie or a CB radio static than a cell phone cutting in and out. It was like it was a like really really staticky like I I don't at least in recent years because cell phone technology is so good yes calls do cut 
in and out, but you don't hear that really loud white noise kind of effect so much anymore. That was the only thing that in this one that I was like, uh, eh, that sounds more like a walkie talkie than or a CB than a, than a cell phone. But well, it might have also been, you know, like him breathing heavy and like me wind as well. That could also do that, you know, that kind of kind of noise but uh you know that sound where you know if you get a lot of wind yeah. noise and hear that kind of sound i think it might have been too much to an extreme but i think it worked especially because you needed to have those points where his voice cuts in and out and also show that he's not stationary in one place he's probably running around or or rocking back and forth or or something yeah i mean i know why they did it that way but it just kind of I don't know, man. It was just a little bit too much, in, in my opinion. But there's not a whole lot to to complain about in this entire album, so <laughs> I had to find yeah. something. No, just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we can't complain about bacon. Bacon is awesome. I love. I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've ever had bacon with asparagus before. I've had bacon with lots of other vegetables, like Brussels sprouts or green beans, or whatever, but. <laughs> I okay, yeah. Versus sprouts are out. Bacon does not make that better. That's one thing bacon. I don't think I don't think can improve. But <laughs> I have had like green beans and uh, bacon. Uh, my brother-in-law, he I think like uh, fries some bacon in a pan, and then he uses the bacon grease to I think fry the green beans in or whatever. In the huh. I'm not sure how cooking works. I'm not a cook. And then he puts like <laughs> slices of bacon inside and with it. Oh, it's the most delicious unhealthy vegetables you'll ever eat. <laughs> oh, it sounds awesome. Yeah. My mom used to make it like that too when I was growing up. But yeah, you know, bacon pretty much makes anything better. Mm-hmm. Even ice cream and donuts. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, the donuts are, are okay. As long as you don't dip them in milk, then they get kind of nasty. <laughs> but then we find out that not only was Eugene the one who had turned in Buck's dad, but he had been in the same place in the courtroom as Cash Oliver. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. It just keeps getting crazier. And nobody even comments on the craziness of that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's like, was that you? Was Or was it Katrina or was it Buck that asks, was that you? Were you that little boy? And Eugene just basically says, yeah, it, it, it was, you know, and, and then they just move mm-hmm. on. I'm like, guys, do you not understand the significance of this? <laughs> what are the yeah. odds? Yeah, kind of like uh, Champ at the Camp kind of thing. <laughs> but I love those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I, I do. I really do like uh, the action in that scene at the at the gas station. We finally see what the cover art is all about um, mm. or part of it. I kind of wish uh, Katrina was on the cover, though, but then it might have been, I guess, being too crowded. But great sound design. I loved hearing that podcast that Luke No talked about on the official podcast about how he, the things he did for that scene. It, it was really great. And I do have to say, I for, kind of forgot about this episode because I did a whole episode on Odyssey Geek about episodes that need parental warnings. This episode, I think, does because you have a guy holding kids or teenagers at gunpoint and yeah, I, I think that probably would deserve a little bit of a parental warning. But again, I think times have changed. Yeah, that was a good episode, by the way. <laughs> oh, thanks. But yeah, great, great scene there and great ingenuity from, uh, you know, Eugene and Katrina. And don't they, 
uh, tamper with his car too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, he was Adam tampered with Buck's car, and that was turned around on him, where his car was, was uh, tampered with yeah. too. Eugene said that he had done something to it. Yeah, it's the old potato in the exhaust pipe trick. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> And then all of those car mods that he had done back in part one at the top of that episode, it comes into play now. I was like, yes, that's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, great setup for that. Actually, going back a little bit, we get we had that scene where um, they dig up the diamond. And I thought it probably Adam showing up again, but it blew my mind when it was actually Candace. Like, what? No, no. Yeah. Like, that's... <sighs> This is the part of the episode I had the most problem with, I think, because one, I didn't like that basically every person in Buck's family is a criminal. Like, she's a cousin or second cousin or something like that. Like, I wish they would have someone in Buck's family that was a decent individual. They may not be a Christian, but at least a decent individual that's not a criminal. Because I also felt like... I don't know, maybe I'm looking into this a little bit too deeply, but I don't know. I feel like me, like, they made her a bad person to, you know, rule it out that Eugene and Katrina could adopt Buck. But right. I almost felt like it was unfair to Buck and almost make it maybe difficult for maybe kids, like foster kids or kids that are in the process of getting adopted, maybe them thinking that, maybe having wrong feelings about their family, even if they may be good other people wanted to adopt him. I just felt like it was almost like too much. Like I felt bad for Buck that pretty much everybody in his family turned out rotten and I and his dad uh, turned out a little bit better. But yeah. I just felt that was like the last, that was like the turn of the knife with that. I just felt like, okay, I think that's a little bit too far. And I just, I didn't feel read, feel the greatest about how that went because I, I would have rather her like Candace, like changing her mind, like seeing how like, Eugene and Katrina risk their lives to save Buck and then me reconsidering that. I think that would be a lot more satisfying, I think. But it's more like, hey, let's just throw this in and just, you know, it's a way to add some drama and some conflict and then just take her out of the scene again because she's a bad guy. I just felt like that was part of the story. I did not appreciate that much. But it is kind of a cool scene when, you know, she takes her car and it's, you know, going haywire on her. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about that. It didn't bother me too much. Uh, it was definitely a shock. It was surprising. It was definitely a twist. And I think that was probably why Kathy did that. As you said, it, it adds more drama and it's a it's a shocker. But now that you bring it up, I can see where you're coming from because the caseworker had said it's up to Buck. He can choose. So they didn't need that to happen to get rid of her and and stop her from taking Buck because he could have just said, it's been great meeting you. I definitely want to keep, you know, the lines of communication open with, with you, but I'm going to choose Eugene and Katrina. He could have yeah. done that. Yeah. Good point. So yeah, I, I, I can totally see what you're saying there. Well, the one line I did like, uh, when we do find out that Candace is evil is Joel says, you know, or someone says, oh, yeah, um, I thought you were a uh, Sunday school teacher or something like that. And she says, apparently not a very good one or something like that. That, that made me laugh. Yeah, so because I think Eugene says, so I'm guessing you're not really a Sunday school teacher. And, oh, and yeah. then Jules says, well, not a very good one. Yeah. 
I mean, that kind of surprised me. Either her church is really lets in anybody or she was lying to them. Like maybe she already knew who they were and she put up that persona maybe. Yeah, she definitely knew who they were because she went and talked to them at at their car. And before it, because she tell, told them about her life and how things were before she found out their card. But the way that she's acting, I doubt she was a Sunday school teacher. Like, I don't think we hear anything about her husband, if she's really married or not. So, again, another, probably another, you know, big con there and, you know, another uh, deception. Yeah, I just took it as she, as she had been lying the whole time. But you're right, it, it's not... It's not explicitly stated one way or the other, but but overall, man, really liked these three parters and this whole album overall. You know, it's a it's a two thumbs up on this album for me. Now here's the problem. What what now? What now? I mean, we just had the the uh adoption yeah. finalized and then we lose Will Ryan. So we're we're at the end of our review of the album, but you you want to offer any thoughts here as to where things might be going and where what what you might wish would happen with uh, this whole Eugene, Katrina, and Buck story? We're gonna find this out. We're gonna find this out later this year, but we we don't yeah. know quite yet. Well, actually, if I may, I'd like to go back to that last scene of the episode because a lot of stuff happens in that. We have you know Buck's adoption. I love how we have, we have like clips like Wooten and Connie, uh, like shouting hooray or whatever. Wit might have been in there too. But that scene just brought me to tears. You know, Buck Oliver is now Buck Meltzner and mm-hmm. Eugene finally having, and Katrina, they couldn't have kids. They finally have a kid. And he talks about how like he wanted a father. Right. And I really liked how they brought up the foster parents. Like, I guess we never, I had never thought about like, why didn't they adopt them? Like, I know not everybody that fosters kids adopts them but it kind of you know fills in that backstory a little bit and you know it just melts my heart when when i heard them you know call them mom and dad and then you know mm. jules you know like let's go melts and her family and like it's okay yes they're a family like and also because i knew that you know this was uh will ryan's last episode as eugene oh it was just a roller coaster of emotions it just yeah it made me it made me it made a lot of tears come to my eyes and I just cannot think of a more perfect ending for Eugene's character in that episode. But at the same time, you know, what are they going to do in the future? So, yeah, this album, this album, like I said, I think it's pretty near perfect. Great episodes, like storylines that were that I enjoy some of the best stories ever. And compared to the last six episode album we had, it had a two parter a three-parter and a single-parter, album 69, which is like probably like one of my least favorite albums. This is like one of my favorite albums. This is really good stuff. One of the best Odyssey's ever done. Mm. But as for Eugene's character in the future, the more I've thought about it, in my mind, there's no way I think they should actually have Eugene die on the show. I don't think that would be fitting for his character just because the actor dies, because we've had other people on Odyssey that play characters like Hal Smith and other ones had that happen. You don't have the characters die except for like Tom Riley, which I didn't like how they handled that. I'm sure if they did have Eugene die, they'd, they'd do a lot more with that. But I like the idea whether or not we hear him, whether he moves away or something like that. I'd rather Eugene live not being heard than have him like, okay, he's not there at all. Because I do like also how like 
um, we talked about a little bit earlier, like the comics, like elsewhere in Odyssey and the Bite Size Adventures. I like that we get Eugene content still. And after this, you know, it feels like, okay, we want to hear how this family dynamic is now. So kind of a hot take here. I'll be fine with a new actor for Eugene, I think. But at the same time, I'm really concerned if that does happen because unfortunately in today's internet age people are very likely to really berate the actor because I've seen this on Facebook groups and podcasts and that kind of stuff where people will say things about writers or actors or something like that and it may not be I mean spirit may just be you know someone shooting off their mouth but I think it's a different time period than it was like with Paul Herringer, you know, taking over as wit and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just think that even if the person is a pretty good actor or Odyssey makes a good effort for it, I just think that too many people in today's age, like in the fandom, too many people will be way too critical and toxic about it that it'd make it kind of difficult for the actor playing Eugene and if they stay off the internet and don't read anything, they they probably <laughs> fine. But I've seen how some people talk and like, yeah, you shouldn't say that online. And I don't think you should say that in person either. Because some of the actors and writers do interact with the fandoms and see what people are saying or listening to or listening to their podcast or whatever. Yeah. So I think it would be very difficult for an actor to step into the role right now. But I really hope they do. I think I would like that better because I I like the character of Katrina. Like Katrina has been very underutilized. I was so happy to hear her in these episodes and Buck. I like his character. Okay. But for me, ideal situation, have them move away for a while, like to Africa or something like that. And then have Buck come back. Maybe a couple years later, maybe, maybe Eugene Katrina will stay there in Africa. Maybe they'll come back. And then maybe at some point Buck becomes a Christian while being over there in Africa and comes back and Jules isn't, and he is. I think that'd be a really great, really great storyline with that. And then, you know, give some more time in between, you know, Will Ryan's passing to change the character's voice. That's interesting. Yeah. I had never thought about that, having him go away, kind of like a wit goes to the Middle East sort of thing. Um, I did sort of arrive at the same conclusion as you did in that is I would prefer that they would recast rather than just get rid of Eugene completely. At first, my my initial gut reaction was, man, nobody else can do this character. I mean, Eugene is Will Ryan. Will Ryan is Eugene Meltzner. And I, I just, uh, at first, I just did not see how that would work. But because of you know this arc in particular and how the, we just got to this point, it's been building up to this for so long, and then just to have it happen right now, I'm like, man, that we can't we can't get rid of Eugene. And the only way that I think makes sense is to do what you said you don't want, and that is to have Eugene die. And I don't want that. I don't want that. But that's the only thing that kind of makes sense in in terms of the story other than your suggestion of having them kind of abruptly move away for a a while or something while they find somebody else. But I mean, it's been over a year. They've been, you know, working on this and contemplating it and obviously praying about it. They've said uh, how to handle this, but I don't know. I don't know where things are going. And I, 
it just makes me sad, you know, <laughs> because the, yeah. we, we we had such a beautiful moment at the end of these episodes, and it's going to be tough if if they go down that route. I know that I've heard I've heard from a lot of people that they don't want the character to be recast too. So, yeah, it's tough. I I don't yeah. envy the Odyssey team at all. <laughs> yeah, like for me, kind of the biggest thing, not just because it would be. It'd be really, I know these are fictional characters, I know, but we really mean to have Eugene die right after being adopted. That'd just be way too mean. That just, that's just right. wrong in my opinion. I mean, life happens like that in real life, but yeah, it's a fictional wor- world. You can change how things happen. But yeah. same thing with Tom Riley. When you have an actual character die, you go back and listen to their episodes beforehand, and those episodes are tainted because, like, oh yeah, that's right, he dies later. I'd rather him live on silently than have him die and then have every episode before that tainted by that sadness. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, I would prefer to have some sort of resolution. Like I'm not super into the, the whole thing that Bernard Walton's still around Odyssey washing windows, but we just never hear him. I would prefer there to be some kind of resolution. If they're not going to recast, then just say something, you know, tell us what happened. He he left, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I do like the, you know, that he's kind of been showing up in, in the comics or you know, all these other characters. But as for the show, like I kind of would just prefer, though I, you, I agree with you that I wasn't crazy about how the, how they handled Tom Riley. It's just, we don't hear anything for ages. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, he's dead. You know, I've said that on the show before, but I don't think they're going to do that here with Eugene. They said we're going to hear in July um, in in this album what's going on, or at least mm-hmm. a, a direction that they're going to go with the character. So we'll figure that – we'll find that out. But, you know, it's going to be sad if they do decide to get rid of the character because, I mean, he's he's one of the major characters. And I think if you can recast the main character of the entire show yes. multiple yes. times, you can recast one of the other main characters, you know? Yes. So. And also, they still have the unused audio from that alternate story where Eugene was going to leave again with his father, which had Tom and Bernard in it. So they theoretically could use some of Bernard's lines in that, along with Eugene, and Audra Wazalewski is still around. Andre Stoika could re-record Paul Erlinger's lines. Connie's still there. So I think it's still doable. We're still using some of Wolverine's lines in that if he were to move away. Which mm. I would like to hear that episode win because they recorded all that and they shared like a clip of that uh, on the official podcast with Bernard sharing a poem. I think that'd be a great way to send off the character of Eugene and hear Bernard one last time. Ah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, it's all conjecture, but this album was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. Home run here from the Odyssey team on this album. Very, very little to criticize, I think at least from my perspective on this album. And I really enjoyed it. Well, Austin, thank you so much for doing this with me. I always enjoy having you on the show. And as you said, the first time we've actually got to review an Odyssey album together and it was really fun. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun for me. Usually when I review episodes of my podcast now, it's usually by myself, which isn't as fun, but being able to record with someone else and not having to edit it is a lot of fun. (laughs) And if you want to hear more Austin, there's a link in the show notes to his podcast, Odyssey Geek. Go over there to get some more AIO conversations and lots of uh, top 
five or top 10 lists on different types of categories and great, great discussions. So you definitely want to check that out if you haven't already. But thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be here. So uh, what do you think of the show? Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, audience Theater Central. Hey, guys, this is Austin Peachy. Hello, J.D., Roy, and Andrew. My name is Victoria. Now, yesterday, I received a letter from a big fan. No time to chat. I've got to email this. Another package for me today. No, it's actually just your mail. Well, if you would like to get in touch with us, there are many, many ways to do that. You can always email us, feedback at audiotheatercentral.com. Give us a comment on our show notes, which a few of you have done in recent weeks. So thank you. And there's always our feedback hotline, which is open 24-7. You can give us a call or send a text message to 623-688-2770. Love to hear from you, your thoughts on topics that have been broached here on the podcast or a question about an audio drama, anything related to the family-friendly audio drama world. Just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Our first item here is a comment from Sarah on... ATC 175, and she said, I'm wondering if y'all have listened to the audio drama on the night train. If so, do you have plans to review it? Thanks for everything y'all do. Love the show. Well, thank you, Sarah. Appreciate you taking the time to comment. And yes, I am listening to On the Night Train. Uh, We will probably review it on the podcast at some point. We've definitely mentioned it in previous episodes. The Merry Beggars are doing some really great work in this space. You know, they're relatively new entrance into this industry just over the last couple of years, and they're cranking out some very good quality stuff. So I'm excited about what they're doing. I did do an initial reactions episode on ATC Backstage when the series first started releasing. So if you are a member, be sure to check that out. And if you're not, Hey, jump on in and you can listen to my initial reaction to the first episode of On the Night Train. And our next comment comes from Carlton, and he posted on the blog post on our website about what we had been anticipating coming up here in this year of 2023. And he said, praise the Lord that Paws and Tails is back in production. (laughs) I think... Austin Peachy, who wrote that post, would agree with you there, Carlton. Um, But he said, the plot was really starting to build. Then the girls, and probably the club by extension, establish a new ministry for the community of Wildwood. Then the series stops, and we're also left hanging on the huge Shadow Valley story arc. Yes, I'm with you there, Carlton. He also adds that Cylinder number 137K is still one of his favorite episodes of the series, Yes, totally agree. That is a great episode. And goodness, the series overall is great stuff. I mean, it's so, so good. I'm thrilled, thrilled that they are back in production. And as usual, we will continue to share updates on that as we get more information. But that'll be coming later this year. Really looking forward to it. And obviously, Carlton is as well. Thank you for taking time to share your thoughts, Carlton. I appreciate it very, very much. And then we also got an email from someone. They did not give a name. <laughs> so I don't know who uh, who it was, but they said, I heard on an older podcast that you were trying to figure out who the actor Robert Young is. Now, just to interject here for a moment, I do think this was a really old episode. I think it was, 
I don't remember the specifics, but I think it may have been a question of wondering who this actor was because we were familiar with the Robert Young who worked on Father Knows Best. And I'm thinking that we have we brought that up, you know, thinking that it was very unlikely that it was the same person, but we didn't know. But uh, this person continues and they said, I have been working on an exhaustive list of Focus on the Family Radio Theater actors. And he played Mr. Bryce on Silas Marner, Barney on The Secret Garden, Captain Graveling on Billy Budd, Sailor, and Chief Inspector James McCauley on Father Gilbert Mysteries Secrets. As I said, I heard this on an older podcast, so I'm not sure if you were still wondering about who Robert Young is. Hope this helps. Thanks. Love your show. Well, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing this information. I hadn't actually thought about it for a while, but it is always great to have these credits because, you know, you, you never know when you might be wondering, oh, where did this voice show up before? So I love having this information, and this info will likely end up on the audio drama database that I'm working on that will hopefully come to fruition and be a reality at some point. But again, thank you for sharing this information. And hey, if you have any others that you have lists of their credits that you would like to share, hey, send those in as well. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. There are multiple ways to get in touch with us. You can always head over to audiotheatercentral.com slash contact and reach out that way. Show notes for this episode with links to everything I've talked about is at audiotheatercentral.com slash 176. The song at the top of the review segment was I'll Lead You Home by Michael W. Smith from his 1995 album of the same name. And a little side note here. There were so many great songs that I could have used for this one. It had I had a really hard time narrowing it down and finally reaching the decision to use this one. But uh, hey, I'm curious, what other song do you know of that would have fit with the theme of this album of Adventures in Odyssey? Let me know. Thanks again to Austin Peachy for coming on the show to talk about Odyssey with me. Really enjoyed that. If you want some more Adventures in Odyssey discussions, be sure to check out the Odyssey Geek podcast. There is a link in the show notes to head over there and check that out. Well, I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, this is Alicia Hansen from Florida. Audio Theater Central is a production of Porchlight Family Media. The theme music was composed by Sam Avendanyu. The show is produced and edited by J.D. Sutter. Find the website at audiotheatercentral.com. Wow, that was fun. Yeah, that went a lot longer than I expected. <laughs> Porch Life Family Media. Your source for family-centered content. PorchLightFamilyMedia.com